Hi guys, welcome to the Data Center Podcast. We're at the beautiful conference room at the Ampere Computing Headquarters in Santa Clara. We have with us Jeff Wittig. He's a senior VP of products here at Ampere Com Computing. Um, hi Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thanks for coming by, this is great. Looking forward to it. Ampere Computing, for those of you who don't know, came out of Stealth two years ago. It's a, um, a silicon startup, chip startup. Um, they're focused on uh, chips for data centers based on ARM. It was founded by former Intel president Rene James, and it's one of the most uh, exciting chip startups in the ARM server space. There's a few, uh, some startups, some not startups, but this is one of the kind of more prominent ones, uh, perhaps because of Rene James. You came to Ampere May of this year. You're new. That's after, right. After 15 years at Intel. Um, the last five years there, you were senior director of cloud business and platform strategy. Um, so th I guess that's a good place to start. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, let's start there. So okay. you're right, I, I started here at Ampere, I guess about five months ago now, uh, after spending 15 years at Intel. And mm -hmm. so the last thing I was doing at Intel for the, the past few years, uh, I was responsible for the business strategy, for the platforms, for the products that Intel was delivering into the cloud service provider space. Mm -hmm. And that spanned everything from CPUs to drives to NICs to accelerator products. So it gave me a lot of experience working with the big hyperscalers, understanding what their needs were, and especially seeing how their needs had changed over the previous decade mm -hmm. or so as they continued to optimize their data center and their infrastructure and how that then changed what they were looking to see at the CPU level, at the platform level. And so uh, very familiar with that space. Uh, and this was an exciting opportunity yeah. for me to, to come and build on some of that and go and, and do some things that I think uh, mm -hmm. are, would be you know, very, very excited and needed in the cloud space. And those last five, your last five years at Intel, and so you're basically kind of in charge of the whole um, side of the Intel business that was, that was selling into, specifically into the hyperscale cloud right. space. Right, exactly. And during that time, uh, those five years, that's kind of like the, the window where, when uh, they all ballooned to what they are today. It is, yeah. When I first started in it, it was uh, a significantly smaller part of Intel's data center business. Uh, it was uh, the smallest, actually, of the segments that the data center focused on. And the hyperscale customers, while big then, they were buying in the hundreds of thousands of servers a year, uh, but growing very, very fast. By the time that I left, the cloud service provider portion of the data center business was actually over half of the overall data center business. And those guys who were buying hundreds of thousands of servers were now actually buying more than a million servers a year. So the scale just dramatically increased during that five year period or so. Yeah. And you were, so, and you, I was sort of, you were kind of on the team that created the, the strategy for that segment of the market, is that correct? That's right, that's right. So, so did, we were, did Intel have a cloud strategy before you took that job? We had a basic cloud strategy at Intel before I came into that space. Uh, what I was able to do was start to do some of the work that Intel did around CPU customization and taking the products that we had for the broad data center space and making them more specific for cloud service providers. That was a big part of what we did. The other thing was really taking the strategy and scaling it out so that it was something that could be applied to not just five or 10 cloud service providers, but something that could actually be applied to hundreds, 
uh, if not thousands of the cloud service providers around the world. Mm -hmm. So, and in, in broad strokes, um, could you describe what that means? Uh, instead of just focusing on the, the biggest hyperscalers, uh, focus on, try to uh, scale that model across maybe smaller, less of smaller cloud providers? Right, yeah. So the, the big hyperscalers were the first to start to do things like move down the path to white box servers, start to utilize ODMs or CMs more, actually optimize the data center infrastructure to match their usages. That might be power optimizations, things that they did around thermal design uh, with the data center that actually end up mattering for performance and power usage of the server. Yeah, they can itself. redesign most things from scratch. Redesign, from, yeah, redesign things from, from the scratch. Hardware up, you know, to the yep. cooling systems. Exactly. Design their own uh, motherboards, even their own servers. A lot of times they own, uh, if not all of the software stack, a good portion of the software stack. Uh, that could be at the, the kernel level uh, and the OS space. It could be at the hypervisor level or the applications themselves. So a lot of them rewrote applications or optimized their applications to fit the hardware that they were getting. So that's achievable when you're a, a very large cloud service provider, you're deploying over a million servers a year, uh, you've got a team of hundreds of people working on this, if not thousands of people. The challenge was how do we take those same types of learnings and make that accessible to someone who's buying tens of thousands of servers a year, or maybe just thousands or hundreds of servers a year. And maybe at that point they have a staff of dozens, not a staff of hundreds or thousands. And so taking some of the learnings from that space and uh, making it more accessible, working with ODMs to develop platforms that are more broadly available, uh, working with the open source software community to make some of those same solutions and applications available uh, to the broader group of CSPs, that was one of our big challenges. Mm -hmm. And how, um, so how successful? I think it was pretty successful. Yeah, I think ultimately it was, it was very successful. So the smaller, the smaller uh, cloud providers did uh, benefit from that innovation at the hyperscale level? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. They, uh, they benefited from starting to use platforms that were stripped down for what they actually wanted to do. Uh, with the type of manageability that they're looking for, with just the right amount of performance and power, um, and being able to take software uh, that's already been optimized for them and and go ahead and and run it. So yeah, I think it was mm -hmm. I think it was fairly successful in in being able to scale out those types of optimizations. And uh, one thing I, I was looking through your LinkedIn profile yesterday. Uh, one thing that was interesting. Um, you developed a custom CPU program for hyperscalers. I remember it was when, when that kind of news came out mm -hmm. that these custom CPUs were becoming a big part of Intel's data center business. Um, so why was it important? Uh, why couldn't hyperscalers just live with the same Intel chips everyone else was using? Yeah, there were a couple reasons for that. They were really pushing the boundaries when it came to performance. Many times they needed performance gains year over year that went well beyond what Intel was capable of delivering with just regular off-the-shelf products. And they also needed specific optimizations for the workloads that they cared about. So they don't necessarily care about uh, broad optimizations for benchmarks like spec int rate. They care about optimizations for maybe the actual databases they're running, optimizing performance for Redis or optimizing performance for a specific search al algorithm. 
And so there were things that we were able to do then to optimize performance at the CPU level so that they could push the, uh, the performance boundaries. So that was, that was one of the key considerations was they needed more performance than we could do off the shelf and they needed it for specific workloads. The second piece of it is that while they were optimizing their data centers and creating efficiency from a power and cooling perspective, that also meant that they needed CPUs that were optimized for that type of an environment. So whether it was designing CPUs that fit the right power profile or that hit the right thermal conditions, which might be either very high thermals or very low thermals, depending on how they chose to optimize, or optimizing for the right type of reliability use cases. So there were, uh, there were kind of two, two sides to it, needed more performance and needed to actually fit into their infrastructure with what they had already optimized there. Mm. And so an Intel kind of, you know, at that time was enjoying a, a near monopoly in this market, um, still is, um, maybe to a slightly smaller degree. Um, during those last five years at Intel, um, were there any points that you felt a real uh, competitive threat may emerge to this uh, dominance of the market? From, right. you know, from ARM, from Power, from maybe from AMD, then? Yeah, I think back then we were always, uh, you know, very vigilant about what else was happening in the in the market, and uh, and obviously over the last few years, uh, AMD has had a resurgence with Naples and with Rome, uh, and there was a real pent up desire by cloud service providers to have other options, and you can see this with what they've done with uh, offload to accelerators, both in the infrastructure offload space with things like SmartNICs, and then offloading other workloads like uh, deep learning training. So there's always this desire to find ways to optimize performance in ways that they couldn't do it with the existing CPUs. And then you also saw them exploring a lot more heterogeneous types of environments. So there were a lot of ARM vendors that were getting traction uh, there were compelling products from Qualcomm uh, and others that, that actually did make a bit of traction uh, along the way. And so I think that there was, I, I could see where there was always this desire for something more, something more innovative uh, than, than, what was, than what was actually mm -hmm. available. I think it's been building the last couple of years. So I think we are at a inflection point here where... So what were the, you know, I don't know if you could maybe remember one or two instances when um, maybe there were there were some conversations inside your group about you know what are we going to do about this particular Qualcomm has this awesome chip. They're yeah, gonna... I mean, I think without going into too many specifics about uh, the details there, um, I think there was there were always a lot of uh, requests from cloud service providers for even more optimization for CPUs that were actually designed almost from the ground up for cloud usages, for multi-tenancy, with the type of manageability features that cloud service providers actually care about it. Uh, and so I will say there were, there were conversations about uh, doing something along those mm -hmm. lines. Like they would come to you and say, a big customer would come to you and say, these guys are offering to do this customization, would you guys? There was, there was always a, there were a lot of requests for whether Intel could do that type of optimization uh, or more extreme customization for cloud service providers. Mm -hmm. And there was always a, a pent up demand for 
uh, more and more features, more and more performance, more and more power optimization. And for Intel, of course, that's a, a more difficult calculation because you have to, there's the rest of the market you have to keep in mind. Yes, yes. Right. It's, it's, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to optimize for a specific market segment or group of customers uh, when you are looking to use one product to service uh, a very, very large and broad market. Um, do, do you think that Intel, uh, the kind of the Intel's near monopoly in the cloud market is under a greater threat than ever today, given AMD's Epic 2 announcement this year, the, this latest wave of energy behind ARM servers, NVIDIA striking oil with GPUs for machine learning, um, all the AI silicon startups, RISC-V? I think that we're at a, uh, at a big inflection point when it comes to innovation in the data center, uh, specifically in the CPU space. We've seen big wave of innovation at the platform and data center level over the last 10, 15 years. The last few years saw uh, a lot of different accelerator options come out, especially in the AI space. I think we are right now at the point where there are more options than there have been any time in the, in the near past when it comes to, to data center CPUs. and More real viable options or more? More real uh, viable options. Mm -hmm. So I, I think this, it's an exciting time to, to be in the, in the CPU space uh, in the data center. And that's one of the, the super exciting opportunities for Ampere right now mm -hmm. uh, is that uh, right now there's growing desire for options. There's growing desire for more innovation. And we're, we're here to, to go and build upon that. Mm -hmm. and, um, did you report to Renee James when you were in, in Intel? Or? I didn't, know. no. Uh, Did you guys work together? Was she familiar with your abilities? We had loosely, uh, we'd come into contact with each other uh, while she was at, at Intel, uh, but I didn't directly work for her mm -hmm. uh, during my time there. Uh, did she recruit you here to Ampere? She did. Did she? How, how did that happened? Did she call you and say, hey, come work for me? Or? She, she did. Uh, I think she'd heard, uh, she'd heard a bit about, uh, you know, what, uh, what I was working on. And uh, I was at a point where I, I knew there was something more exciting, uh, more innovative uh, that, uh, that I could work on. And it was sort of just the, the perfect opportunity where Renee had built the foundation for a really exciting uh, company. She had brought in a lot of very, very experienced technical leaders uh, in place, and she needed uh, someone to come in and, and run the product side and, and deliver a strategy there. And uh, it was exactly along the lines of, of what I felt the industry needed. So it's, it's been uh, an exciting couple of months going and taking a lot of the ideas that uh, I feel the industry needs and, and really putting them into practice here. So give us uh, some more details about how that happened. She called you, she invited you for dinner. Did she have to convince you that this is a good move? Were uh, you I nervous mean, about it? Yeah, I mean, I'd been at Intel for 15 years. Uh, and so I certainly, I wasn't really looking to, to leave uh, when, uh, when she called. So uh, we, uh, we talked a lot. Uh, you know, once she laid out her vision for the company, uh, her strategy for what the industry required, uh, and, uh, and we talked a bit about what uh, this would entail. Uh, it took some convincing, but, uh, but uh, Renee's a pretty persuasive person, and uh, she's got a very clear strategy, and uh, at a certain point it was, 
you know, too good to pass up. Mm -hmm. um, so there have been, I don't know, maybe two waves of ARM server excitement so far. The first one kind of ended a few years ago with Calzada flopping, AMD mm -hmm. kind of quitting its ARM efforts. Um, the second one, I guess, is happening now. Um, and um, since that first wave, Samsung, Broadcom have uh, started and stopped trying to build um, a successful ARM server business. Um, they're both not, you know, they're not new kids on the block. They certainly mm -hmm. know what they're doing. They know the business. Uh, what is it about Ampere that makes you believe the same thing won't happen uh, to these efforts here? Yeah. Well, I think if you look back uh, in the past at some of the things that have happened, I think that the first wave was perhaps too early uh, for a couple of reasons. One, TSMC or other foundries didn't have the uh, process leadership that they have today. And, and so it was difficult to compete with Intel from a process technology standpoint. Having a great design is, is good, but it's that marriage of a great design with a great process technology and working hand in hand uh, with your foundry that is critical. So I think that some of those products were too early from that perspective. Also, the products we've mentioned are all ARM-based, and until very recently, the level of performance for ARM still fell a little bit short of what mainstream cloud service providers needed. Now with uh, ARM v8 and a lot of the, the current technology, ARM is able to deliver the level of performance that cloud, the cloud actually needs. So I think some of them were a little bit too early from that perspective as well, although some like Qualcomm were getting close. And from an Ampere perspective, uh, one important thing from a strategy perspective is we are single-mindedly focused on delivering a leadership CPU product. We are not developing uh, other products in other markets. We're not developing non-CPU products. So Meaning you're not have, making um, phone chips or... Not doing phone chips. We're not making networking products. Uh, we're making a cloud and edge-focused CPU. And so there's you know, extreme focus on that. And we won't change our minds or change priorities over time. We are delivering this product. So on top of the fact that we've got amazing design team, access to the best process technology, uh, that we are working hand-in-hand -hand with big hyperscalers to build in features they're looking for. Uh, we are intensely focused on a CPU product, a roadmap of CPU products, and specifically at this market. Mm -hmm. And uh, for cloud providers, the interest, um, the obvious interest is having, just having um, more companies than Intel um, deliver their, their chips. Are, technologically, are there things that uh, that they're interested in in ARM that uh, x86 doesn't provide? There are. There are, yeah. So there's obviously a fundamental desire to have alternatives. And AMD provides a great alternative to Intel based on the x86 architecture. But there's also a lot of other things that cloud service providers are looking for. They're looking for more performance that's actually targeted at workloads they care about and delivered in a way that they actually care about. Uh, socket level performance is less important, for instance, than having uh, a lot of cores that have consistent performance and performance isolation so that you can host a lot of containers or a lot of functions uh, in a given machine. So they have performance needs that aren't being met today with the current architecture. They have power efficiency needs that aren't being met today. There have been reasonable performance gains over the last couple of years. Performance per watt hasn't held 
uh, pace the same way that performance gains have come. So TDPs have creeped up and there is a growing desire to have uh, solutions that allow one to deploy more cores in a rack uh, and also deploy the same type of architecture both in a big hyperscale data center with a reasonable power delivery all the, all the way out to the edge where it's much more constrained. And then lastly, there's a desire for just more scalable and flexible platforms. So being able to utilize new interfaces, new open interfaces, uh, more platform innovation, and an ARM uh, is a vehicle for allowing us to do a lot of these things. It's a more power efficient architecture uh, by being able to customize our CPUs and not just take basic IP off the shelf and integrate it, but actually go in and design our own CPU based on the ARM ISA, we can design in the type of features that CSPs care about, and we can strip out legacy features that just consume power or space and aren't needed. So fundamentally, we have more flexibility than other architectures have, uh, and we're able to build off that flexible base to do a lot of really interesting things that CSPs have been asking for. Mm. And uh, so, so far from what I kind of found online uh, from what's been written, the only customer that Ampere has talked about uh, publicly that's kind of deploying actively in production is Packet, the cloud service provider. And they're, they're extending, they have their like kind of core cloud data centers. They're also building a lot of edge sites. Um, they're expanding to wireless towers and stuff. Um, how is that going, that uh, engagement with, with uh, Packet? How many Ampere servers have they deployed? How quickly are they ramping? Yeah, so we have a product out on the market right now that came out in Q4 of last year, of, of 2018. Uh, it's our EMAG CPU. It's a 32-core it's a ARM 64-bit CPU. Uh, it delivers up a pretty reasonable performance in a very power-efficient envelope. Uh, very TCO effective. Uh, like you mentioned, packets deploying it. There's bare metal services available today. They've got a lot of customers that are running on it. Hatch, for instance, the, the Finnish uh, game, cloud gaming company, uh, they're up and running on it. Uh, they love the performance. They love the TCO efficiency of it. They love the power envelope. Uh, there are a number of other um, people that are deployed up on packet. Um, we've seen a lot of traction in that cloud gaming or the Android in the cloud space where it's sort of a no-brainer to run your application that was already written for the ARM architecture for Android. Uh, just run that in the cloud on an ARM-based server. And that's the case with Hatch, right? That's the case yeah. with Hatch. Yeah, that's the use case. Uh, we're working with a number of uh, partners in China as well. Uh, Android in the cloud is a huge use case in China. And so you'll see some stuff over the next month or two in that space with some pretty big providers uh, who are uh, working on EMAG uh, deployments with us right now. We also have had a lot of traction in the edge space. We've got people that are running software like SIBA or they're running their ORAN stack or they're running VNFs on the EMAG product. They love the power efficiency of it. And so we'll, we'll see a lot more there as well. These are people that would actually be deploying our EMAG servers out at their edge sites. Mm -hmm. uh, are think these, big are carriers. these carriers? Big carriers. Okay. Yeah, yeah, big carriers. And uh, we've also got a couple of other infrastructures of service or web hoster type uh, players similar to Packet who are also uh, working on our, our EMAG product. Mm -hmm. 
Um, well. Already deploying in production or they're kind of uh, kicking the tires? Yeah, they're uh, they're right now getting close to uh, to getting some deployments out there. So I would say we're uh, we're seeing about what we expected off of the the Emag product. It's a great way for people to get started on our products uh, to do some of the minimal amount of software optimization that's needed in order to get things up and running on uh, you know mm -hmm. on the Emag servers. And, and as far as the top hyperscalers, uh, that's all is still kind of in the preliminary conversations? What's, what's, the... what's exciting is that in the very near future, we've got our next generation uh, Ampere CPU uh, in the works. We are actually going to have uh, silicon back and, and going out sampling in this calendar year. So uh, later in 2019, we'll have units going out to some of the, you know, our big partners, big hyperscalers. And, and that's what will really take us uh, the next step in, in seeing Ampere uh, really increase its footprint, expand the workloads that we can go and compete in. The, again, EMAG was a great entry point. The next generation Ampere CPU goes from uh, not just the 32 cores that we had on EMAG, it increases the core count up to 80 cores. I think that's a real game changer. It's gonna deliver the type of per core performance that the broad cloud needs. So we're going to be right at the pinnacle of performance uh, for what's available in the market mm -hmm. at that point. What's its uh, power consumption going to be? We'll have a, a flexible range of options there. We'll be able to deploy down to TDPs in the 45 watt range when you need that type of efficiency to get out to the edge, but still deliver up a lot of cores. And we'll go up into the 200 watt plus range as well for the big hyperscalers who are looking for you know maximum possible performance in each CPU and a range of options throughout the, the entire space. So I think what's really exciting there is we're gonna hit a level of power efficiency and be able to deliver really high core counts at TDPs that just aren't possible to achieve today with any of the mm -hmm. existing products. So I think this product is just a, it's a quantum leap in what we're, what we're delivering. Uh, this isn't uh, incremental improvement to the previous product. This is really gigantic leap forward. I think a revolutionary new product, and that's where you're going to start to see a lot of noise from some big hyperscalers uh, who uh, are going to be deploying this. And you're going to see not just the couple of use cases that I mentioned before. You're going to start to see deployments in databases, in search, in storage, analytics. Uh, you name it. All of the the big cloud cases. Mm -hmm. And so um, AWS has an ARM chip designed of its own, mm -hmm. um, which it's selling as a cloud service. Um, does that worry you guys? Um, theoretically, Microsoft and Google uh, easily have the resources and the capability to do the same. Uh, presumably, you have to just make something that's better than they're able to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's great that there's a lot of ARM options out there right now. Uh, each option is kind of going after uh, maybe a different part of the data center space or uh, is targeted at a different type of deployment model. So uh, I think it's great that, that AWS is, is working on you know, their, their own ARM CPU. Uh, it's, it's helped to create a lot of momentum for it in the market. Uh, it's helped with a lot of uh, software optimization, with porting over the key cloud stack. So um, I think it's, it's, it's great that there's, there's that kind of choice. Um, I really view it as a, as a big opportunity for, for all of us to, to go out and, and win, focus on uh, you know, the way that we're each able to uniquely deliver performance and, and power. Um, the thing about when you look at building your own CPU also, 
uh, is that it's, it requires a, a good amount of, of scale. Um, you don't want to go and build a CPU that you're only going to deploy, you know, thousands of or, or tens of thousands of. So oh, AWS has well, plenty of scale. They have plenty of scale, plenty of scale. So um, you can definitely see where it makes sense for them to go and do it, uh, especially the work that they've uh, they've done around their uh, their Nitro project. Uh, so I think that it makes sense. There's a, there's some synergy for them to go and, and do this. Um, but uh, I think for a lot of the rest of the market, um, you know, it uh, is not going to make as much sense to go and, and build a new CPU from the ground up. Um, so that's where I think we've got a, a big opportunity to go and, and build uh, that type of CPU and, and partner with those hyperscalers to deliver what they really need. I, I assume, like with everything else um, in their infrastructure, they would probably prefer to buy, buy the components then build them on their own um, if if they deliver if the outside vendors deliver what they need exactly yeah in terms I mean, of both price and yeah I mean historically that's yeah that's obviously been, it's been the preference uh, to do that and I think you can point to examples of where some of the hyperscalers have built some of their own uh, homegrown ingredients and it might be uh, security chips or controllers or accelerators, uh, but CPUs, is a, it's a, there's a different scale there um, when it comes to developing something on your own uh, and having uh, compatibility across a bigger ecosystem matters a lot in the CPU space. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, historically it's been the preference to if the market can deliver a CPU that does what, what they're looking, something off the shelf makes a lot more sense as long as they have the flexibility to customize where they need, and, and that's what that's what Ampere is delivering. So, Arm Holdings became an investor this year. Um, what does that mean for Ampere? Yeah, so uh, they license their archi you know, architecture to anybody who will pay them. Right, right, yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously we're uh, you know we're based on Arm uh, on Arm architecture. We have an architectural license. Um, I think the fact that they uh, are one of our investors is a, is a key strategic benefit for us. Uh, there's a lot of places where they could focus in the data center space and uh, having a vested interest in, in what we're doing and, and really buying into our strategy is, is important for us. So I think it's a, it's a great thing to have ARM on board as a, as a strategic partner. Can you flesh that out, maybe some examples of where that's a strategic advantage? Well, we work really closely with, with ARM. Um, some recent examples of us working really closely with ARM uh, would actually be the the announcements earlier this week at SC19 around NVIDIA uh, going and enabling the CUDA stack for ARM and ARM becoming a first-class citizen there. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jensen talked about uh, the collaborations with different uh, ARM data center CPUs. And, you know, at Ampere, we've been working with ARM uh, to enable that that stack, and so I think that's one key area. Uh, if you look does, at the, does it mean, for example, that you get early access to some innovation that's happening at the architectural level? Uh, we do. Uh, so we're like earlier than other um, people that license. The architecture. Well, I would say we, we partner very, very deeply with ARM um, all the way out into their long-term roadmap uh, with the IP that they're, they're delivering, uh, providing key input on features, on architectural decisions. Uh, so I think we're, we're very well positioned in terms of uh, ensuring that 
our needs are being met. Um, and I think from an ecosystem standpoint, I mean, the ARM partnership is, is super important um, when it comes to enabling software, when it comes to um, influencing the way that platform specs are written so that uh, ARM works as seamlessly as x86 CPUs do, the way they interface with the BMC or the way they interface with security chips. So, um, yeah, I'll just say we, we have a very deep partnership with ARM, um, and I think that the being close partners with them has been a, has been a key benefit. Mm -hmm. And Oracle also became an investor, um, and before it did, reportedly, it had already spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on Ampere chips for uh, design and development work, testing and development. Um, what's, what is that engagement about? Uh, what does that relationship mean for, for, for Ampere? Um, yeah, Oracle has a board seat now too, right? Uh, so uh, I'll say that it did become public uh, a little bit ago that, that Oracle did participate in, in our second round. Uh, so they are one of our investors. Um, it's great to have uh, a big cloud provider and, and a big software um, provider providing key uh, input to us when it comes to developing our products. Uh, and so I think that uh, there will be a lot of exciting things um, that we hear in, in the future uh, with what Oracle is doing in the cloud and, and the way that we're working together on uh, CPU technology. Mm -hmm. And um, Ampere has an OEM partnership with Lenovo. Um, you mentioned some um, Chinese, uh, potential Chinese deals coming up. Um, Lenovo being a Chinese vendor, um, has that relationship? particularly opened uh, doors with the likes of Alibaba and Tencent, et cetera? Uh, I would say we're, we're working with all the big hyperscalers in, in China. Uh, like you mentioned, Lenovo is one of our OEM partners. Uh, we also do have a, a couple of other ODM partners uh, that are currently doing board designs and server designs for the, the EMAG platform. We're working with MyTAC in that space. Uh, we've also done some work with WeWin, on mm -hmm. specific platforms. So I think the, the server vendors that sell to the hyperscalers? Yeah, yeah. So I would say that uh, we're, we're rounding out the portfolio with the right OEM, ODM partners um, to address the China market, the broad hyperscale market, um, and there's a lot of momentum in that space. So we've got, some, we've got great partnerships across the board. Um, we'll see quite a few more partners as we get into our next gen. Ampere platform and the next CPU. Uh, you'll see us bring more ODM, more OEM partners on board, uh, more diverse platform solutions that hit workloads like storage or GPU accelerated workloads. Mm -hmm. So we're, uh, we're rapidly growing that ecosystem of, of platforms. And they've all been, been great partners in terms of engaging with customers uh, and, uh, and being able to, to get in, in all the geos. And we've uh, talked a lot about cloud and hyperscale. Um, what about enterprise data centers? Is that at all part of the roadmap? Uh, our primary focus is really on, it's on cloud workloads and it's on edge workloads. Um, when it comes to the customer base, we are primarily focused on uh, hyperscalers. We're also focused on other cloud providers uh, who maybe don't operate quite at hyperscale, but are trying to utilize hyperscale practices like for what they're doing. Packet would be a good example of that. 
Um, I think that where, where enterprise users are running their own private clouds or hybrid clouds and would benefit from some of those same things, uh, Ampere is a natural choice for them. If we look at uh, legacy IT infrastructure, uh, that's not necessarily a, that's not a target market for us. Um, again, because of the way that we are hyper-focused on really the next architecture that's needed and really trying to deliver on uh, key architectural needs for quality of service, manageability, security in a multi-tenant environment, the needs are just very different from when you were running a legacy IT environment that um, you know, required you to put in a ticket for, for more capacity and uh, had less multi-tenancy. So, uh, so we're really more forward-looking. But yes, where there, are, where there are enterprises that are looking to innovate in their own private and hybrid cloud, um, they're, they're great partners too. I it see. really comes down to the infrastructure and the workload okay, when we so look at who we want to work not with. Not legacy workloads, but if they're, you know, if they transform to cloud native, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. um, yep, then they're, then they're great. Of interest. Then they're great partners for us. Okay. okay, Jeff, thank you so much. That's all I have. Okay, great. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it was pretty, great talking to you. Likewise. Mm -hmm.